to the Damascus Road podcast. On the road to Damascus, Paul had a radical encounter with Jesus and his life was changed forever. That is what we hope and pray for here. Now, on to this week's episode. So a little over four years ago, Brad and I had the pleasure of seeing Gary Goldman in a relatively smallish comedy club in Phoenix. He was hilarious and kind enough to even do a meet and greet afterwards, so Brad and I got to meet him, which was super cool. He did this little bit that we just watched when we saw him, and to be honest with you, I've never felt more seen by a stand-up comedy bit, because you see, I too am tall and not a man's man. I've never been a man's man. I'm not tough or rugged. I'm not into MMA or CrossFit. I have no desire to hold or fire a gun. I'm not a grill master. I'm not super outdoorsy. Don't ever care to go camping. I'm not a car guy. Just give me something sensible and reliable to drive and never, please never ask me to look under the hood of your car and tell you what's going on underneath there. I like sports, but I'm not athletic. I'm not super great with tools and I'm not super handy around the house. I'm really impressed when I see super, and I'm super jealous when I watch cool woodworking videos because I marvel at the art of it all, but I have none of the skills required to do it. Ron Swanson, I am not. Now, over 18 years of marriage and 13 and a half years of home ownership, I have gotten a little bit better with tools and fixing things around the house. I was kind of forced to get a little bit better because, you know, I could call somebody out to my house anytime something big or small goes wrong, but I also like not playing exorbitant service call fees on top of whatever the fix is, so I don't do that as much. I kind of had to learn. But like, the drain stopper in one of our sinks in our bathroom has been broken for quite a while, and according to the YouTube videos I found, it's pretty complicated to repair. So I've like just been completely ignoring that, probably to much to my wife's chagrin. It's her sink. Um, But I have tried my hand at a few more complex things. And I've had, I'd say, two major successes in 13 and a half years of home ownership. Let's take a look, shall we? First, I present to you Exhibit A. Yes, this was my first moment of pride as a relatively new homeowner 12 years ago when I successfully installed a TV wall mount in our bedroom. It's secure. It's level, and the TV has not yet once budged. I even upgraded to a bigger TV a couple of years ago, and it still holds. I'm pretty proud of that one. <laughs> Secondly, here's exhibit B. Yes, more recently, my dad and I installed a ceiling fan in my home office. While the TV mount was nerve-wracking because you had to make sure everything was level, I had this I had to use like this giant drill bit. I had to make sure it was drilled right into the center of the stud. Then I had these huge bolts I had to like hand crank into the wall. The ceiling fan was nerve wracking because you know, electricity. Um, But I'm happy to say that my dad and I got it installed without either one of us electrocuting ourselves. And as I stand here today, it has never once fallen off the ceiling. A lizard did once fall from it when I turned it on but I'm like 68% sure that had nothing to do with my installation of the ceiling fan. For someone who's admittedly not all that handy or not that great working with my hands, these were major successes in my eyes. I don't know where you fall on the scale of me to Ron Swanson, but I imagine I'm not alone in looking at the qualities that the world emphasizes about what it means to be a real man or a real real woman and feel that you just fall short. Or maybe you just can't help but compare yourself to others who have these skills that you just don't have. 
I tend to take the word crafty or craftsman very literally and feel I have to be really good at working with my hands for that word to apply to me. And I'm just not. But the first definition when you look up craft in the dictionary is an art, trade, or occupation requiring special skill, i.e. the craft of a mason. So literally, it could be any skill. But like I said, that's not the definition I internalize. We tend to look outside of ourselves and think, if I just had that, or if I could just do that, then I could prove my worth and I would be celebrated for all this awesome stuff that I can do. But what about the skills we do have? What about the craft our teachers or employers entrust to us to do? What does the Bible say about our occupation, our skill, our craft? Can Jesus' life on earth as he was the son of God teach us anything about the value that God places on work and the work we devote our lives to? As we continue our series this morning, we are looking at the different roles that Jesus played in his life. And we are going to look at Jesus as a carpenter, how our God is a crafting God, and how our calling, our work, our craft is a good gift from God. So now, God always knew that he was going to be sending his son Jesus to earth for our redemption. And in doing so, Jesus took on a life as fully God and fully human. And when God sent Jesus to earth, he could have chosen any place and any type of family to place Jesus into, any situation if he wanted to. Jesus could have been born into a priestly home. He could have been born into the home of a Pharisee. He could have even sent Jesus into the home of a great military leader or a powerful, well-respected ruler. But he didn't. Knowing the ultimate purpose of Jesus' life here on earth, God sent him to be born into and grow up in the home of Mary and a carpenter named Joseph. We all might know the story, but it's worth reading a little bit again, just the humble beginnings in which Jesus came into this world. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was a baby lying in a manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. A baby lying in a manger because there was no place to go. No influencer clout in the community. No famous household name to precede the family to where they were going to pull some strings to get better accommodations. Just a baby, his earthly parents, and the most humblest of means. It could have been anywhere, but God placed Jesus in the household of a carpenter, a man who was getting his hands dirty and doing physical work and labor. Joseph was a working-class man, what some today might refer to as a blue-collar worker. The Bible tells us that Joseph was a carpenter and that before he started his ministry, so was Jesus. We have two very similar verses here, one from Mark and one from Matthew. They scoffed, he's just the carpenter's son, and we know Mary, his mother, his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Then one from Mark, they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Biblical scholar Den, uh, Dr. Ken Campbell notes that the Greek word used in both of these verses is tekton. 
And that word is what we most commonly translate to carpenter. But Campbell says that tecton should actually more accurately be translated as builder or someone who works with stone, wood, or sometimes metal to create new things. I know I don't often weigh the human side of Jesus as much as I do his divine side, but even though he lived in a very different time and place that we do, Jesus was fully human and lived the full human experience just like we do. And yes, it means Jesus had a job. Jesus would have grown up learning Joseph's trade. He was raised and trained to be a craftsman, a builder like his adopted father. Jesus almost certainly would have worked as a builder and would have been the heir to this family business up until the time that he started his ministry. But what exactly would that have looked like? The Bible is fairly light on the details of the first 30 years of Jesus' life. So um, Dr. Campbell frames this period in Jesus' life like this. Joseph and Jesus essentially operated a family-owned small business, negotiating bids, securing supplies, completing projects, and contributing to family living expenses. Does this description of what they did sound even remotely familiar to you? These are general core practices of just about any job. I know this hits really close home to me because I work for a printing company here in town and I'm a customer service representative, but also like project manager could be a subtitle of what I do. And for each job that comes across my desk each and every day, I'm responsible for a bunch of things. I'm for, I was responsible for making sure pricing is accurate and communicating that to the sales rep and to the customer when needed or negotiating bids. I have to turn in a stock order to make sure that we have all the proper materials, paper, substrates, inks, and everything to print the job that we need to get done or securing supplies. I am tasked with following each order from, the department, from department to department to make sure it gets done correctly and on time or completing projects. And for all this, I get paid all the monies uh, or contributing to my family's living expenses. So in first century, century Jewish culture, it was likely artisans and craft people like Jesus and Joseph who were working jobs that looked most similar to ours. Remember, like I said earlier, Jesus could have been born into any situation. He could have been waited on hand and foot from the day he was born. He would never have to want anything or have had to lift a finger. But that wouldn't have been a true universal human experience. That wouldn't be something that we could all see ourselves in. So God, in his ever-wisdom, chose the grit and the grind. This not only shows us the importance of Jesus having been a carpenter, but even more so God's emphasis on work and its good and healthy purpose in our lives. It's this truth that gives great dignity and meaning to the work you and I do each and every day. You might be working a full-time job now, or your work right now might simply be going to school. You might very well be working and going to school at the same time. I've been there. I worked as a sandwich artiste at Subway all throughout college. And so whether you're a sandwich artist, a customer service rep, a pastor, a barista, a caregiver, a stay-at-home parent, or an accountant, or anything else, the work and the skills that God gives to us is a gift, and that is a truth that God reiterates all throughout the Bible. Work makes its first appearance all the way back in the beginning. In the second chapter of Genesis, we are told that the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. By putting Adam to work in the garden, we see right off the bat that work is one of God's intrinsic values. 
It's a beautiful thing that when God made each and every one of us, he gave us unique skills, gifts, and talents, and calls us into particular roles and activities. With the way God has set up the world, work is required to make everything function. Each of us plays our part in making that happen. God has equipped Tyler, Ryan, and Megan with specific gifts to be pastors. He equipped me with skills and gifts to work in a print shop of all places. He equipped my wife Erica with the gifts to be a teacher. Right now he's equipping many of you with a capacity for learning so that many of you may develop and find the gifts God has given you for whatever job you will do one day. For there is joy and honor when we can find the things we are good at and use them in our daily craft. In his grace, God has given us gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. But just because God gives us these gifts and talents and the pleasure of working as a good and beautiful part of our lives, that doesn't mean it is always easy or fun, right? Some jobs are just jobs. Some jobs are not super fulfilling. Some jobs are in toxic work environments. Some jobs have overbearing bosses. Some classes have very unreasonable teachers. Virtually every job or class has annoying or frustrating co-workers or classmates. And even though we may not want to admit it, we will all run into these things all at some point in our life. It's just pretty inevitable. I am lucky and I enjoy my job, but as much as I love the work I get to do and the people that I get to do it with, there are still hard days, there are still frustrating customers and coworkers that get on my nerves. Erica can confirm that there are plenty of days that I vent to her when I come home or via text during the day. Uh, but God doesn't say that our craft is only good when everything is perfect. He tells us that it matters all the time, and so does our attitude while we're doing whatever it is the work is that we're doing. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, whatever you do, do well. We are responsible not only for the quality of our work, but for our faithfulness to God in the way that we pursue that work. Quality, character, and ethics are foundational for our work. God calls us to represent him in everything that we do, not just on days we feel like it or on days when we're in a good mood, but every day. And it matters. Humility and gratitude should be the hallmark of our character, and we should always acknowledge that God is in our work and consider that being his representative is a weighty but honored responsibility. Am I being patient and kind when I'm responding to that frustrating customer, or am I just being frustrated? And I being, am I being loving when I go to vent about one coworker to another? Work can suck, classes can suck. Life has ups and downs, highs and lows, good days and bad days, and work is not immune to that. No situation is perfect, and that's just a fact of life. And while there are absolutely some terrible work situations that you could find yourself in and that you should absolutely get out of, we must resist the urge to run or quit at the very first sign of trouble or when we've just had a bad day or two. Because while we might be working for a company or a boss, it is God who we are ultimately serving in everything that we do. 
In Colossians, Paul talks a lot about orienting people towards worship by setting our sights on heaven. But in a chapter that is largely about worship, Paul drops this little nugget on us. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is Christ. It's almost as if Paul can tell that instead of bringing God and our praise of him with us to work, work ends up feeling like the place that we are furthest from God. We all need to remember these words that Paul has for us because this is something we have to work to change. What does it look like when we bring God with us, when we bring that light to work? Do we pray for our coworkers? Do we have compassion for our customers? Is our presence there a blessing? Do we invite God into the deep places of our work? It's when we lose sight of these things and the fact that we should be serving Jesus in all that we do that our craft becomes more about what we can do for the company, the for the bottom line, and for ourselves. It becomes about how we are providing for ourselves through our work and not how God is providing. And unsurprisingly, Jesus had some words for us on this. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today is enough trouble for today. God provides. Everything we have, including our work and our means to make a living, come from God. Sure, God provides for us in a different way than he provides for the birds, but he provides nonetheless. Birds aren't involved in economic activity, driving around in little bird cars, wearing little business casual khakis and polos, buying, selling, making deals. But we do those things. And we have to take a little bit more of an active role in God's provision for us than the birds and the lilies. And Jesus recognizes that here in this passage. Note, he's not telling people not to work. He knows the value and the provision from it by spending time as a craftsman and a builder. But what he's saying here is that all things are ultimately a gift from God, including our ability to work. We are not simply making a living when we work, God is giving us life through work. We are not making a living. God is giving us life. And that is just as much of a provision as anything else from God. But still, days get long. Work gets difficult and tedious and starts to beat us down. And it's hard to keep this idea that work is a provision from God at the forefront of our minds. And us as humans tend to have a little more natural negative bent 
when we look at the world. So we have to combat that with as much joy and perspective as we possibly can. We have to let that light into us and shine through into the darkness. So today, as it is the start of a new week where tomorrow we'll be going back to work or we'll be going back to class, this is my challenge to you. Be joyful in your craft. The your here is very specifically emphasized because each and every one of us has uniquely, gift, has uniquely been gifted by God and we've been placed in a wholly unique situation in which we are working, whether that's an actual job or class or whatever. I started this message talking about all the things that I am not, all the ways that I am not gifted. It has taken me the better part of my 42 years here on earth to get it through my thick skull, but I can tell you that life is so much better when we find peace and joy in the gifts we have instead of the ones we wish we had. Lean into how God has created you, how God has crafted you, not how you wish you could craft yourself. Find the freedom, beauty, and joy in being that person that God has created. You are you for a reason, and that is to be celebrated, not frowned upon because you feel you might be lacking. You may not see it right now, but where you are, the good God-given work that you are doing might be growing and preparing you for something else down the road. I feel I'm fairly good at my job, but I also acknowledge that it's a job that I could not have been doing seven, ten years ago, however long. But by the grace of God, by the grace of other jobs and other experiences that I've had, that has all given me the skills and confidence to do what I am doing now well. I worked for my company for three years in a completely different department. I left for a year and a half, and then only to find myself back there a year and a half later um, in a different role, in the role I'm in now. But that year and a half at a different company was very beneficial to me, and God knew that. He saw the bigger picture and used that time to continue to form me. Looking back now, I can see how he was working in that time and shaping my present through my past. I'm so very thankful and joyful for that time. So regardless of whether or not you're exactly where you want to be, we need to resist the urge to be discouraged about where we currently are and the work, whatever it may be, that God is having us do. Remember, our joy determines, or our attitude determines our joy. A lousy job is a lousy job, or a bad day at the office is a bad day at the office, but it is all even so much worse when we constantly complain about it. And listen, I get it. Some days you have to vent about your day, and that's okay. And some days it is good to dream about where we want to end up someday, but not to the detriment of losing focus on the here and now. What if instead of immediately launching into the frustrating parts of my day when I talked to my wife, I started with two or, good, two or three good things about the day first? Even if it's something as simple as, hey, someone brought in donuts this morning, or I got to step outside and stand and feel the warm sun on my face for a few minutes on my break. Joy in spite of circumstances is a fruit of the spirit and one of the many gifts of life with God that we cultivate when we practice gratitude instead of complaint. Focusing on the good will reorient our minds and bring more joy to any and all work that we do. We should always acknowledge that work is a gift from God, as is our ability to be happy in it. And like Paul tells us, this all ties back to examining who or what we are working for. 
So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. We can find joy in our daily tasks, our work, our craft that God has given us to do, and we can do it enthusiastically for God because that will always be good and true and worthwhile and joyful for us. So while I may not be Ron Swanson, while I may not fit the world's definition of what a man's man is, while I don't even fit my own preconceived notions of what a craftsman is, luckily God shows us that his definitions are so much wider and deeper than what the world or our own minds can give us. Luckily, we serve a God that has given each of us unique gifts that we can use to play a part in something bigger, so much bigger than us. Luckily, we follow a God who values work and its place in our lives. But most of all, we are lucky because we have a Savior in Jesus who went from crafting things out of wood and stone to crafting our hearts and souls in his image. May we open ourselves to joyfully do the work that God has called us to do, no matter where we are. And may we keep our hearts open to the work that Jesus is doing in and through us. For our God is a crafting God, forming, shaping, and making us new every day. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for work. I know I don't do that often enough, but I thank you for work. I thank you that you value it, that you sent your son Jesus and he worked, and that shows us its good value and joy in our lives. I ask that as we go about our weeks this week that we may Remember to bring you with us to work, to class, to whatever we, we do, and that we can be a light in those places where we so often leave you out. Um, we ask you to give us the strength to do that and strength to find joy in work regardless of our circumstances because it is from you and you have us in places for reasons that we may not know now or that we may never know, but it is good and true and it is from you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining the Damascus Road podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus together by being with God, loving everyone, transforming people, developing leaders, growing new ministries, and changing the world. You can find out more about us online at DamascusRoadTucson.com.